This episode was recorded on August 23rd, 2020. Our topic for today, APAC technology, internet companies. All right, let's get into it. So as we look through the APAC internet companies, we saw some large industries really appear uh, for themselves of subsets of the internet themselves. Those being e-commerce, those being payments, those being ride sharing, uh, and and those being general internet technology. So very much, this is where last time, of course, we talked about the quote unquote traditional industries of APAC manufacturing hardware, so on and so forth. And those are the industries that we'd mentioned kind of had slowly left the United States. On the flip side, technology industries, or rather these internet industries that we'll be talking about this week, very much have mirrors and have, what's the word I'm looking for, similarities to a lot of companies that are currently in the States, uh, if not have done better than some of the companies that we have Western analogs for. So should we start with to the Asian equivalents of your favorite company, Johnny, of Amazon, and talk about e-commerce and cloud, because I just realized half these companies are in that as well. All right. So we are starting with Alibaba. It was founded in 1999 by Jack Ma, uh, a guy who most of his life faced a lot of rejections. I think he was rejected. It was rejected from KFC. Five times. Yes. He was rejected from Harvard five times. He was rejected from KFC because it was like... 25 people it's, applied, and then 24 got in, he was, and he didn't. They told him he was too ugly, yes. Yes. Yeah, you're um, forgetting. I was about to say, yeah, being rejected from Harvard, Johnny, for most anyone who listens is going to be like, oh, yeah, I can relate. Dude was rejected from being a worker at a fast food restaurant because of his looks. You got to add all the comparisons, Michael, all the rejections. Yes, that, that one's pretty bad, though, as far as mm-hmm. rejections go. Uh, but now, you know, he's one of the well, world's wealthiest people. So, mm-hmm. anyways. Um, he, I think he was, uh, quick, quick aside, I think he was in the States. He, he was in the States for a bit and then went, came back to China and was like, I have to build like a global company. And the name he came up with was Alibaba because, uh, what is it? The Tales the of Arabia opens. Yes, the Tales of Arabia. Thank you. Um, and hence, or Arabian Nights, quote unquote. Arabian Nights. Now we need that music. That music is awesome. Now, I think, um, no, that's owned by Disney. That's completely owned by Disney. That's such a shame. Can't even start humming it without us getting sued. I'm I'm sure they stole it. So, Jack Ma, he created Alibaba, the Alibaba Group, uh, back uh, back in 1999, and the main Alibaba.com website is actually a business-to-business e-commerce marketplace, um, and it started with the idea of connecting Chinese manufacturers with overseas companies and suppliers, which was a genius idea because you know most manufacturing actually happened in China. Right. And, and to this day, it still does 20 years later. Um, the next one, well, the next two really are just actually part of the Alibaba group. So Alibaba runs Alibaba.com, but it also runs Taobao, which is the consumer to consumer e-commerce marketplace that was actually founded or started in 2003. So four years later, kind of like uh, our eBay. Yeah. And it's very similar to Amazon and eBay sellers are individual retailers and small scale businesses uh, at the part of the uniqueness of, of the Chinese e-commerce and the Chinese culture is that here, 
customers are allowed to bargain with sellers and they can inspect the delivered product before paying. The third e-commerce website that Alibaba Group runs is called Tmall. It's a business to consumer online retail and it was actually spun off of Taobao in April 2008. It has over 500 million monthly active users and it's the world's third most visited website according to Lexa. So yes, that's the that's the commerce giant. That it would be uh, remiss to not also mention that they also have a cloud. Uh, they have a cloud competitor, and I believe their cloud offering is number three, if not number four, in the world in terms of market share. Yeah, uh, Ali Cloud. Yes, because it's either them, and then GCP, or GCP and then them. I don't remember which one it is. And yeah, because it was uh, the Alibaba's. Uh, oh, okay. I guess that, make, that makes sense because Alibaba Cloud was actually founded in two thousand nine, mm-hmm. and if we think about it, when is it? AWS was founded in two thousand six, two thousand seven, with S three and EC two. So yeah, they were earlier because I think GCP is not even that old. Yeah. Yep. All right. So that's the mega conglomerate of uh, of Alibaba. But there's another publicly traded company that's on the the NYSC as well. Uh, that is also plays in this space, and there, of course, JD. Take it away, Michael. All right. What cool. is JD? So JD is a uh, yet another one of these large commerce giants in uh, coming out of China. They were founded in 1998, but what really kicked them off is when they went fully digital. So they used to have physical JD stores. They were founded in Beijing, by the way, and uh, they used to have physical stores around the country that they would sell items in. And then in 2004, I believe, was it SARS in 2004 or was it H1N1 in 2004? I believe it was SARS, right, Johnny? Yeah. Yeah. So SARS hit in 2004 and that caused people to start locking themselves down and start not going out as much and hurt retail business. So JD took that opportunity to decide that, okay, we're going to go online first. And they really had a head start even in some of these online, uh, getting online straight to consumer marketplaces beyond even the old other marketplaces of Taobao. And well, Taobao had a, a one-year head start on it, but Tmall for sure. And it made $82 billion in revenue, you know, AKA 40 times what uh, YouTube brings in. Actually, no, it's not 40 times. It's only like 30 some odd times of what YouTube brought in in uh, 2019. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because JD is, it, I guess it's one of the more unique stories of having started off as a brick and mortar kind of company, but successfully, it's almost like the Netflix uh, in a way, right? Where Netflix didn't start. I mean, yes, it was online, but it was really, hey, we're gonna send you DVDs and then it successfully reinvented itself and is now the king in streaming, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's like the because, opposite of Amazon. Exactly. And JD, because all these other uh, companies that we're going to cover and we've covered started on the internet from day one, right? Yes, yes, yes. Um, all right. Moving on to the next company. We are going to a different country, Michael. The other billion plus country, India. India has, um, well, here we're going to cover Flipkart first. So Flipkart was founded in 2007 in Bangalore by Sachin Bansal and Bini Bansal. Uh, no relationship, but they both worked at Amazon. Surprise, surprise. Um, it's an e-commerce marketplace. And, you know, maybe because they worked at Amazon, they 
literally started off following in Amazon's footsteps of being an online bookstore first. And they became India's biggest e-commerce platform. And so they wanted to, so today they compete primarily with Amazon's India subsidiary. I think it was two, three years ago, Amazon announced that they were investing $2 billion into India. So really hot marketplace for them. And Flipkart also competes with the domestic rival Snapdeal. In, uh, as of March, 2017, they had, uh, um, f- almost 40% of the market share of India's e-commerce industry. And then in August, 2018, Walmart acquired 81% controlling state stake in Flipkart for $16 billion uh, and which valued Flipkart as a whole at $20 billion. So this is, I guess, Walmart's way of getting in and, and of course, continue to compete with Amazon. Uh, this is another trend we're going to see that I'll mention later, but uh, yeah. All right. The next company is India's snap deal, Flipkart's uh, rival. It was founded in 2010, so a few years after Flipkart, in New Delhi by Kunal Bal and Rohit Bansal. Snapdeal actually launched as a daily deals website, uh, kind of like Groupon, except mm-hmm. it actually did the next logical thing that Groupon was unable to do. Because Be successful. Yes. After analyzing the success of Alibaba in China, the founders decided to pivot, transforming it into an e-commerce marketplace in 2011. So... A year into it, they realized the, the whole deal, daily deals thing was just not a long-term viable business. Um, so they took over, uh, they were able to acquire customers through uh, an interesting approach of being mobile focused first off, and they had a well-planned marketing strategy, which involved referral programs, get your first deal free, uh, offer affiliate marketing, which helped them acquire customers. And they have over a hundred million plus users. It, a quick aside was that um, a SoftBank, which seems to have its hands everywhere, what is an as a investor in Snapdeal, and they were pushing for a merger with Flipkart in 2017, uh, which ultimately didn't pan out. But it's interesting that the two the two rivals in India could have merged into one ma- much massive company. All right, Michael, take us to Japan. Yes, so a company that I think. Uh, Westerners have probably heard about as well, but may not know is a Japanese company. Uh, is it Radikin or Ratukin? I always thought it was Rakuten, but regardless, Hiroshi Mikitani uh, was the founder uh, was the founder in 1997. It's an e-commerce marketplace. It owns Buy.com, Play.com, uh, Kobu, and 18 other popular websites that are uh, that are subsidiaries of this company. Like I said, it's probably of the companies that we've talked about today, this and Alibaba, I would say, are probably the most well-known to Western uh, Western markets. So known as the Amazon of Japan, it operates in over 29 different regions and also offers e-commerce, fintech, digital content, just as Amazon. It, it, it is in a lot of ways uh, the, the Amazon of Japan, and that, that title is well-earned. All right, so moving on, another part that, that, that came up... Uh... In my research that I found interesting is the rise of Southeast Asian uh, technology companies, right? Typically, mm-hmm. you think of, you know, like we cover the Koreas, the, J- Jap- the Japanese, the Chinese and the Indians. But Southeast Asia, which I was just looking up, has roughly a population of 655 million people. Mm-hmm. Um, and I guess it's a third in terms of like major continent subregions populations. Um, yeah, it's, it has quite an interesting set of companies. But this next company is Lazada, 
was actually acquired by Alibaba in 2016 for $2 billion. So it's part of the Alibaba group companies, but it was founded in 2012 by Rocket Internet. Rocket Internet is that German company that's uh, very famous or infamous for copying existing business models in different countries, uh, notably Asia and Africa. So I think it tried to copy Ali, um, Airbnb in Airbnb's early days, but um, they have more of a, for lack of better words, of a sweatshop kind of operation where Airbnb had more of a, hey, you know, where that West Coast kind of, hey, we care about you and we'll make the best for you versus with Rock Engine, I was like business, business, business. Anyways, I digress. Uh, Lazada, what is it? It's an e-commerce marketplace with operations in Indonesia, Malaysia, Philippines, Singapore, Thailand, and Vietnam. Uh, it learned from the first generation of e-commerce companies, notably Amazon and eBay. And what it did was it outbid top brands in offering seamless shopping experience with different payment methods, fast delivery, enhanced customer services, and it dominated the market quite comfortably. It is the largest e-commerce operator in Southeast Asia with over 8,000 employees uh, and over 50 million active buyers annually. So pretty big. And of course, like I mentioned, it's now part of the Alibaba group. Mm -hmm. Another example of how Alibaba has continued to expand outside of its domestic Chinese market. Um, there's also another company we'll cover uh, later that's also serving the Southeast Asia. I realized right. the next series of companies that we look at are kind of hard to, to put into one. And so we're just going to try to cover them all through this kind of like large messaging slash financial payments slash investing uh, industry. So we will start with one of the largest companies in all of Asia and one that has gotten a bunch of, what's the word I'm looking for, attention recently, and that is Tencent. So uh, Tencent, of course, is a multinational conglomerate holding company, and we've, we've, uh, we'll hear that word a lot, multinational conglomerates, that is, as we, as we parse through all of Asia. And it's the world's largest video game company. It's one of their biggest financial investors. It's one of the world's biggest social media companies. It's one of the biggest venture capital firms. It's, it, it basically is in the, mar it's in the, the industries of social networks, music, web portals, e-commerce, mobile games, internet service, payment services, smartphones, multiplayer online games. So that is, uh, so that is the sum total of Tencent, but where are we gonna focus on specifically? We're gonna focus on another company that is a, that is a target of the recent American administration's transaction ban, and that is WeChat. So WeChat is the largest, uh, yeah, it's the largest single messaging system uh, in the world rivaled only by WhatsApp, which we'll talk about in a bit, but it's a uh, single purpose, quote unquote, even though actually I, I would call it this. It's hard to call WeChat single purpose. What, Johnny, what would you say is WeChat's top real analogy? Would you say it's, would you say it's a messaging app or would you, how would you describe WeChat, Johnny? Wow. Um, <clears throat> I think calling it a messaging app is that's like the foundation of what it is. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, and what I mean by that is, yes, it is fundamentally a messaging app, but thanks to, you know, either just being a messaging app and also just the, the, the dynamics of the, of the market that is the Chinese market, it was able to build a lot of services on top of messaging, right? Messaging is, 
why is messaging super important? It is a communication platform, right? Mm -hmm. And once you have a communication platform, you can build on top of it. And Tencent's actually a, a, a big part of why, you know, um, a messenger from Facebook was spun out to become mm -hmm. its own app, its own website, so that they can start building on top of it, right? A lot of that inspiration actually came from WeChat. So WeChat is be because of it, uh, the, the importance that it serves, right? If I can communicate with you, I can also communicate with, with anyone I wanna do business with, right? Mm -hmm. And therefore that gets me into starting to pay for those services that I'm doing business with that person, right? Mm -hmm. uh, whether it's you know, calling for a ride sharing, uh, calling, paying for dinner, right? Or going out on a date, what have you. One of the large features of WeChat that we just don't have out here in the West is just the integrated payments and commerce system that they have. So yes, like a Venmo, if you will, I can pay you one-on-one, peer-to-peer. However, businesses can also pay me, as you were saying, and use WeChat as an advertising platform. So for example, in restaurants in China, I go there and I don't even talk to the waiter. I just scan a QR code. Another thing, QR codes way bigger in the rest of the world than they ever were here. Uh, I scan a QR code, the menu comes right up. I order on my phone in the WeChat app. This is all in the WeChat app or the Alipay app, which we'll talk about in a bit as well. And then the food all gets delivered. I also pay on the, on the WeChat app as well. And then afterwards, because I, it's like Facebook pages, because I liked or joined your page, you can also send me messages, promotions and stuff to get me to come back to a restaurant or service or shop in the future. So, whereas before the e-commerce, we could say, this is the Amazon of the East, the, you know, whether it's JD, whether it's Flipkart, whether it's whatever is the Amazon of the East. I'm not sure we can say WeChat is a anything of the East. I'm not sure if it has an analog anywhere. In fact, I would say that if any company tries to do a WeChat, they're the WeChat of the West. Yeah, and where exactly? And where I was going, just as you were speaking, made me realize is that you know, a lot of times it's been businesses that have been inspired by the West, right? Mm -hmm. uh, as we've been going through some of these companies, they're inspired by the e-commerce businesses like Amazon, eBay, or the ride-sharing like Uber and Lyft that really started it all, and then a bunch of companies started expanding all over, kind of copying at least that the base model of what is, hey, how do I deliver people, but adjusting it to their local markets, right? Mm -hmm. But, or even like Rocket Internet, which goes and copies business models from the West and to the East as well. But what's super interesting about Tencent is, uh, sure, maybe, you know, obviously they probably weren't the first messaging platform, but they really evolved it in a way that nobody else had even thought of evolving. Mm -hmm. And that's why I mean, they, they actually became Tencent, an inspiration. Their first product was WeChat and Tencent QQ. So that they did start as a messaging platform. No, no, they did. But what I'm saying is they didn't, they weren't the first messaging service yes. period. Yep. Right. But they took that and they evolved it in such a way that nobody else had even thought of evolving. Right. Um, if you and think, I think about this, like WhatsApp and which we'll cover as well, and Snapchat also started, and Facebook, I mean, let's be honest as well, uh, but even though Facebook was a little, I would say the, the, the personal blog model that Facebook originally was is a little more complicated than messaging per se. But WhatsApp certainly started as just messaging, still is just messaging in a lot of the world. Snapchat started as just messaging, a different form of it, but just messaging throughout the world as well. None of them crossed yep. over like this. And they have yet to. I know WhatsApp's been trying 
WhatsApp has been doing a bunch of uh, a few things. Um, well, okay, I, I will say this uh, while we're talking about what WhatsApp. So WhatsApp just started pretty much as a, a chat app, right? Mm-hmm. Like, hey, status update. It also has a very interesting story. I think it's one that we should definitely uh, cover in a future episode for itself. But uh, WhatsApp started as a status and then it became, hey, let's communicate with each other. And then, then they added, I think to me, one of the revolutionary things that they added was the ability to call people, which just made yep. sense. Like, why do I have to do long distance calling when I can just use WhatsApp and call over the internet. And of course, a bunch of others like Viber have, have done that. In some cases, Viber has been more advanced and they allowed like the desktop app that WhatsApp has done, but it's still evolving. So it's interesting how each of these different messaging uh, apps have their own uh, area that they really focus on and have evolved in. But to this day, uh, WhatsApp hasn't broken that barrier. Yes, with you know Facebook, parent, its parent company, they've been trying to get into uh, consumer to business, business support within WhatsApp, similar to how like people have started using Twitter as a way to like, hey, I had a bad experience. I'm going to tweet at that business and say, hey, you know, I lost my luggage. Hey, what are you doing about this? Right. Same thing for I think WhatsApp that they wanted to add some kind of business model so that they can start monetizing those users. Right. But with again, they still there's still nowhere near what what Tencent has been able to achieve with WeChat. In some ways. Uh, some, some, some people refer to WeChat as essentially an operating system that sits on top mm. of your phone because so much of the essential services that, you know, if, it's true, if you're, they have their own app store. You... Yeah. If you're in, so just real quick, if you're in the, in the U S and you know, you have an iPhone, you know, you're going to probably, you know, you have your Gmail, your Google services, or maybe you're in the Apple mail, uh, you have the Apple app store, you have Amazon that you shop on, maybe you have some business some some work apps but they're all disparate but in china uh this is just from what i've read because i don't i don't use wechat but wechat is so ingrained that it's that it's almost an operating system level on top that people have alluded to the fact that it doesn't really matter what 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 phone you have because your wechat account is what you use to 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 pay your bills to pay your payments to contract with all your different services and your your friends and download apps, as you said, right? You, so you could it really is just on WeChat because you can embed. There's a there's like Grab and not Grab, but Didi is embedded actually into WeChat itself. Exactly. So you have kind of a one app to rule them all environment that obviously all these other Western apps are looking at and saying, "Oh my God, how do I even get you know a fraction of this?" Right. Mm-hmm. Um, so. It's, it's very innovative in that way. And it yes. continues to, Let me ask this no one's caught up is, to it. No one's yeah, caught up to it. Well, right? I, think, I think you just answered my question, which I was about to ask is WeChat the most successful social media company in the world. We give that current title to Facebook, by the way. Well, I don't, so no, because it's not, because it, I consider it a communication platform. Is that necessarily social media? Is Facebook not a communications platform? It is, but so that's, that's what I'm getting at. Communication to me, communication sits at the top and social media is a subset of that. Right. As we've just proven with what WeChat does. So yes, to answer your question. Yes. I would say it's the most successful communication platform, but then does that compare with like, no, it is, it is because I mean, email is important and emails just seems to be kind of the thing that we always default to, but um, I don't know if that's more ubiquitous and a need versus uh, people actually using it and uh, evolving it. Yeah, I agree. I think it is because if you think about it, it's almost like if somebody had come in and done 
done to uh, email what Tencent has done to, to, to basically texting, right? Mm-hmm. No one's done that. Email is still just email, right? There's a bunch of plugins you can plug into like your, 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 your calendar, which is pretty obvious and a bunch of other things and stuff you can do, but email is just still email. Like I know Google has some initiatives to try and get you to, to send money through email. I don't know how successful that's been. Um, but yeah, so, yeah, I, mean, I, I think so. Yeah. If you think about the goal of social media as you want to create that platform, that's all encompassing. And really, it kind of takes up your life. Facebook hasn't gotten that. Uh, none of the other social media companies that we'll talk about here have gotten that. Seems that's, like the one that's closest is WeChat. It's, it's just such an obvious strategy when you think about it, right? Because if I can communicate with you, you know, I can play games with you. I can pay you. I can interact with you. All the things that we do in person, I can do over the phone with you, Right. All right. Plus, yeah, yeah. You want to talk about SoftBank real quick as just a venture capital firm in this industry and this space? I didn't know. I thought SoftBank started as a tech company, but like its entire story is so confusing. Oh, yeah. It was a software distributor. Okay, sure. So I can go real quick though. I didn't do really due diligence. So SoftBank, it's been in the news a lot, Michael. A lot, a lot. Um, reason being, reason being because of what company, what company? WeChat. No, not WeChat. Uber. Too Uber. many Wees. No. Sorry. Uh, oh, sorry. We, we work. work. We work. Yes. Too many Wees now. We went from T's to Wees. God. All right. Anyways, SoftBank, uh, which has been more recently popularly known for the Vision Fund, the world's largest technology focused venture capital fund with over a hundred billion dollars in capital. I will do a quick aside of that. When you invest a billion dollars in a business, mm-hmm. what kind of return are you actually expecting to get versus like if you invest a hundred thousand in a business, like when Google's early days or Apple's early days, like at least then you could see a 10 X, hundred X, even a thousand X return. But anyways, I digest, I digress. You digest? So, <laughs> I digest. I have yet to digest that. That's, that's, that's good to know. <laughs> once in a while, opposite, Michael, once in a while. The opposite would be bad. Yes, yes, I agree. All right, uh, SoftBank, it was created by, it was founded by Masayoshi Sun, who has a very interesting character. Um, more recently, it operates in broadband, fixed line telecommunications, e-commerce, internet, technology services, finance, media and marketing, semiconductor design, and other areas. Oh, and a recent- <laughs> Where are the other areas not covered by literally everything else? Right. It's another company that has a miscellaneous section. God. Um, so anyways, it was founded on September 1981 as SoftBank All Caps Corp by then 24-year-old uh, Masayoshi Sun. It was originally a software distributor. And then they went into the publishing business on May 1982 uh, when they launched some magazines. And then it was going to become Japan's largest publisher of computer and technology magazines and of trade shows. And 1994, the company went public and was valued at $3 billion. Uh, and then in September 95, SoftBank agreed to purchase US-based Ziff Davis Publishing for $2.1 billion. Um, it's more recently, like I mentioned, known for its VC fund. Uh, as of 
2018 has over 70, almost 75,000 employees. It has a whole bunch of subsidiaries. So SoftBank Corp, uh, SB Creative, T-Mobile US. Uh, I think that's because it used to own Sprint and Sprint has now merged with T-Mobile. Uh, Yahoo, used to have a stake in Yahoo. One of its popular investments was also Alibaba. Oh, look at that, ByteDance. It's an investor. Yes. Oh, here's another company that we didn't quite cover, but it's called Coupang. It's an e-commerce company based out of Korea and serving the Korean market. It's, I think it had revenues of $4 billion. Mm-hmm. Not, not, a sm- not, not a tiny player, but not a huge player. Um, There's so much going on in the continent. A lot. Yes. There's just a whole lot happening uh, in, in APAC right now. A whole, whole lot. Um, Very exciting time. Yes. So I would say this. So yes, really quickly, if we want to talk about rideshare, so there are Uber equivalents as well uh, in the in the APAC region. Grab and DD are some of the largest. Of note, I'll just say that uh, DD actually beat out Uber in the in the Chinese, uh, or rather yeah. in the Chinese country in itself. So much so that Uber sold off Uber China to DD. In fact, if you ever use the DD app, I think it's just actually a reskin of uh, like Uber from a few years back. That, that was so, the one time that Uber made a profit. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it, it, sold. It, it, couldn't, it, it couldn't do it on its own, but it could do it by, by selling or something. Yep. But so Johnny, now let's, let, let's just go about the, this way. So we've been now in APAC for two weeks. Uh, well, we physically haven't been because I'm not allowed to go anywhere as an American citizen, but uh, we've, we've explored the companies and the, and the countries that are representative of APAC technology right now. Let's move into just general takeaways. And I think it's suffice to say that in no episode nor no show notes can we try to cover all of this. I mean, if you think about it, just covering American tech, we've probably covered just a, a small portion. I mean, if you think about our, episode, our, our podcast history, we've never even touched Google, Facebook, Microsoft, Amazon in terms of their company histories. Um, but if this is it's certainly just a, an, an overview and an intro, if you were to go into what are kind of like the big trends that maybe surprised you or that interest you or the things that you want to come back and explore more in APAC on this world tour, uh, what would they be? Like, what were some, cl- uh, some closing thoughts on the APAC region? Definitely. Um, well, I also say guys- this, which is, which is as well, this is, it's definitely, we, we didn't even have time to, uh, this is kind of like my, our Mia Copa slash honorable mention section. I uh, wouldn't even have time to cover like uh, all of Jira and Alassian out of, uh, out of Australia because Baidu. there's just so much happening. Uh, yeah, we didn't have time to cover Baidu. <laughs> there's just Baidu's so much happening the, in this space. Baidu is one of the older companies too. Yeah, first off, um, you know, given that a lot of, uh, you know, the news does cover Chinese companies given their rise. I think, you know, maybe 10 years ago when you looked at the top 10 uh, VC-backed or top startups in the world, they would have been mostly U.S., if not all U.S. Now, uh, at least almost half are Chinese. I think the most valuable uh, private startup right now is ByteDance. It's a Chinese firm. Um, we've seen some of the innovative, we covered this, right, some of the innovative work that Tencent's been doing. So, we get, China gets a lot of attention. I think it'd be interesting to dive a little to it just to start to understand and ra- unravel some of these things in terms mm-hmm. of what we, what we mentioned already, like a messaging wars uh, would be interesting to look at Ch- the Chinese market specifically. But the other region that's surprised, I mean, I had heard about like Grab before, 
Because if you look at ride sharing, there's a whole bunch of regional companies that are dominating in their respective regions. I don't have the name off the top of my head, but I know there's one in, in the Middle East. Um, and then there's one in South America. There's some in Europe. And of course, we covered uh, the ones in, uh, in, in China. But uh, Southeast Asia, a deep dive into Southeast Asia and some of the, like maybe focusing on a couple of companies there and seeing their story would be interesting to further understand what's happening there and what are some of the trends. Um, but the big thing is really, I think, just as you said, just given the size of APAC, right? Like, of mm -hmm. course, everybody wants to come to the U.S. market because that's where obviously the money is, that's where the market is. But the, the U.S. population is what, 330, 340 million people? Southeast Asia by itself, right? So not even counting India, China is double that at least, right? That's 660 million people. And it just shows you the amount of opportunity there is, right? With the diversity of that region, the vast population of that region. And, you know, with, with the growth, the economic growth of this region, or at least being able to take a business model like ride sharing and applying it there and adjusting it to the local markets and the needs just shows you that there's just so much that you can do that's so much untapped potential there. Um, and as well as just as we saw with Tencent, there may also be an opportunity not just to copy business models and say, hey, they have an Amazon, why don't we have an e-commerce here, right? They have an eBay, why don't we have like an auction house here online? Maybe there's an opportunity also for them to create something brand new and yes. give that back yep. to the world, right? Well, if we, um, if we look at, I mean, even that, that's something that I found interesting, which is if we looked at the, if we would compare last week, so we're trying to wrap it up, if we compare last week, we, I, could, I could draw you that through line, if you will, in terms of, what's the word I'm looking for? In terms of how manufacturing became so big in APAC. I could say, oh, you see, well, American industry and the industrial line and Samuel Colt with, uh, you know, go back history lesson, Samuel Colt with interchangeable parts. And then Henry Ford with, its, with his industrial, with his uh, manufacturing line. And how it came from America went out west, uh, went out east rather, and it kind of took over from there and 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 established a culture there. I can't draw you so much that through line. I can't say that. And and of course, with manufacturing, we said that hey, eventually even Asia did it better. But I can't draw you that through line when it comes to uh, when it comes to APAC internet companies. Maybe because that's the internet is so new. Maybe because they've innovated perhaps faster than even we have uh, out here in the West. But if you look at it, yes, you can say, oh, right, well, we have Alibaba. That's the Amazon of the, of the East. But then you start seeing WeChat and Tencent. You start seeing these mega apps. You start seeing finances that are just different. And you just start seeing how technology is evolving in a very different way out there. And I do, I do kind of wonder, it's like, okay, we had a similar beginning. And even a, a somewhat of an emulation or a, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Or a, what is it when you, tribute, there we go. An emulation or a tribute in the beginning to American firms. But now it's forked. It's forked sufficiently now that what comes out of APAC might start looking very different. Now you're seeing American firms go and take a page out of the, the companies that are highly successful in Asia and APAC as well. Uh yeah, yeah, the 
couple quick things here is, so if you just look at AI, when you're comparing China and the US, a lot of the research, a lot of the new innovative, uh, if you will, models and um, research space is still dominated by the US, even though mm -hmm. China is also rising and doing, uh, contributing a lot. Where China is, is over, already overtaking the US is in applications. I think mm -hmm. the Chinese are so, so good and fast at copying and iterating, right? That they're able to build a lot of these really innovative services super quickly and they're experimenting much, much faster than uh, what it seems Americans have been doing. Um, the other thing that strikes me as interesting is this. So you're absolutely right. We don't really talk about a lot of the investments that some of these US-based companies have, have, have made. But I think historically, I think it was more of an anomaly for US-based businesses to invest outside of the US. Mm -hmm. um, really, if you think about it, and you can kind of see that, right, with China's rise, what was there before China, right? What was there in the 2000s that you could look at and say, this is a growing area? Everything was focused on, you know, if you will, Silicon Valley in the US, at least from a tech perspective, right? Um, I think but now Ch China's raised, well, let me, let me finish my point. Mm -hmm. um, China's raised up, right? And now a lot of people are looking at China as being another very innovative uh, tech space, right? Is it Shenzhen? Uh, is it, you know, the Alibaba's, the Tencent's, whatever they're doing, that they're in some ways even ahead of their US-based competitors. And in the case of Tencent, like there's no direct company that we can even equate to in the West, right? Um, so, when, so tied to that is this. Um, I think, uh, I, don't, I don't have any data to back this up, but I think what other area that the Asian companies have been leading is they've been quickly expanding outside of their domestic uh, country and investing in international places much, much faster than the US-based companies have. And I mean like big investments, right? So if you think about it, the, the was it Tencent and Alibaba? Uh, they're competitors in terms of investments, right? So it seems like they go to, to other international countries and then they're investing on the opposite uh, companies within the same industry, right? Mm -hmm. Kind of like you see that with uh, uh, Snapdeal and Flipkart, right? Mm -hmm. um, Here's a good wrap question. Um, would you rather, let's say, let's say you, you were given the choice, let's say language and culture is uh, an, an ingrained social uh, challenges, which are, which are hard to, to, to exclude, uh, but let's say those are not an issue and not a consideration. Would you rather start your career right now in APAC or in the United States? Where would I start my, my career? Yes. Let's say you're given the option to start your career anywhere. Therefore, same educational system, same whatever. We, we just send you, let's say, let's say from Belgium, you're, you're, you're moving from Belgium. And let's say that you spoke any of these languages. So Chinese, Korean, Japanese, uh, any of the languages of India. And let's say that, okay, you're giving me your choice. Where do you, uh, where do you want to go and kind of start your career or have your career? That's, that's, that's interesting. Um, so historically, obviously you'd say, you know, I'd come, I'd want to come to the States. I think that still holds valid because, you know, obviously the Googles and the Amazons and the Apples are not going away and they're, obviously the most value, uh, the most valued businesses. And 
you know, there's a lot of things that they set the gold standard on, mm-hmm. but, but there is a lot of activity as we've already covered happening in, in China and Southeast Asia. That's, it's very exciting. And as a next kind of growth engine and area of innovation, um, you, you know, I, I will say this, I will say this, I would probably go be inclined to go, to, I, knowing what I know now in terms mm-hmm. of, and I'll say this so that we have the context. When, you're, when you stay in Silicon Valley, and you can attest to this, right? Um, after a while, you realize they're, they're not building a very innovative, you know, kind of world-changing technology that can impact you know, the next 10, 15 years. Are you saying that perhaps the, the problems of Silicon Valley are too trivial now because of the overall luxurious lifestyle that's been afforded through years of innovation? Uh, yes, and I don't want to completely generalize. There are a lot of really interesting companies that are coming out of it from a tech perspective, from a high tech perspective, where maybe five, 10 years ago, it would have been an automatic, I'm going to the States. Now it's like, well, maybe I'd go start somewhere else and see, right? So you're saying there's essentially now, basically what you're saying is there's some, there'll be some consternation or some considerations of alternatives now for you. I I'm think just saying there is something there, right? It's not an automatic, I'm, I'm going to stay in the States is the, the, well, the point I'm trying to make. Or you would choose the States, not even stay, because I think there's, there's more momentum for me to stay, of course, in the States, because right. I have built my life in the States. But to say, would I, uh, you know, I, the, I guess really what the question we're asking about this is, is... If, if you were graduating you know, today from grad yes. school. Or more, or not even graduating today from grad school, because you kind of want to go into the educational system that uh, in one of these countries. I guess really what we're asking on this world tour is, is America still the undisputed land of technological opportunity? It's hard for me, in my mind at least, to separate out the, uh, the, the companies from the environment uh, from the environment that we work in. So I would say this, it's, so let's, let's do a direct comparison. Would I rather work for Alibaba or Amazon? I think I'd rather work for Amazon in terms of what they're doing in AWS. Would I rather work for Google or Baidu? Again, I think I'd rather work for Google considering some of the interesting things they're doing. It's to what we said before about would I rather work for Tencent or the, I guess the combination of PayPal, Facebook, is that would we call that like Facebook, 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 and EA? That one is where it gets tricky. I think what's, I think what's starting to get interesting is world world leaders are starting to form in non American or non American tech companies. So you know you always get the thing in the past is like oh well by default go pick what's number one. Well, number one is not necessarily at this point just American companies in some of these spaces. There's companies that are truly, forget the interesting thing. You're going to get interesting, you're going to go find a, a 10, 15, 20 uh, person startup trying to save the world everywhere and the world. Uh, we're go- if you're interested, if, you're self, if your self-interest is something more along the worldly lines or, 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 inter- or worldly good, you're going to find it anywhere in the world. But if your default is, let me pick the world leader, I don't think it's as easy to say anymore that the world leader is always in America. Anyways, so yes, so we have, we have gone fully, uh, what's it called? We've gone fully around Asia or as, as fully as we possibly could be in the short amount of time that, we've, uh, that we had. Um, Johnny, what, I guess, wrapping up, did anything surprise you on this, on this part of the tour? Um, 
No, like, like I'll, I'll reiterate the, the rise of Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Uh, like I said, I was, I was familiar with Grab before, um, but I wasn't aware of like Lazada. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think it's interesting to see what else comes out of that area. Um, I was, eh, well, what's more interest? Another interesting observation is feels it feels like more the rise of India and China and you know like well Singapore is always pretty good quality of life and all that. But from a tech perspective, it feels like Australia is pretty barren. Mm-hmm. I know I, I, I've watched some documentaries and I know they obviously have a tech space and uh, some pretty interesting stuff there. But in terms of not just to the same level of what's happening in China, right? Um, and I think that's, that's really interesting. Or, you know, in India. And I don't know if that's just because these countries are growing as their, um, you know, economies grow, as they develop further. I don't know if it's tied to this or tied to something else. So I, I think that'd be something else to explore. It's just how is it that Australia is so different from these guys? Is it the population? Is it just the culture? What is it that attributes to all these companies rising? And there's not a single like, okay, yes, well, there's Atlassian, uh, but in terms of consumer facing, there isn't, I don't have off the top of my head, an Australian or New Zealand based company that's taken over that space. And historically you'd think that, hey, Australia, you're the more modern company or you're the more modern country um, why aren't you playing in the Chinese market and the Indian market or the Southeast right. Asian market, at least from the big industries that we were discussing? I thought that was really interesting. The lack of uh, Australia's presence, if you will. You? So I think what most surprised me that I was not expecting walking in was just how in a lot of ways, I, I, I think... And this is, and this is going to sound weird as someone who's used a lot of the apps that we talked about and a lot of the services we talked about. Uh, of, course, of course, growing up in China and visiting. But in my mind, I think, perhaps due to my very American or Western-centric uh, experiences, I always kind of try to use, I think we're going to, f- maybe we're going to go to Europe next. So maybe that's where some of my, uh, feelings will be reestablished or my assumptions will be reestablished. But I'd always kind of compared my tech experience to say it was the universal tech experience. If you know what I'm talking about, it's kind of like the, well, I'm on, I'm on Google, Facebook, and, and I use WhatsApp and I use, um, what was I about to say? I, I use these other internet tools and my experience on the internet is the experience on the internet or my experience of mobile devices is the experience of mobile devices. And I, I know this space. I work in tech. I'm a product manager. My job is to know technology. But in diving into these spaces and really thinking about it deeper made me realize just how different the tech experience is like in a lot of other spaces. And I would say like, we didn't scratch, we didn't scratch even the surface. Because there's, because uh, there's like DoorDash equivalents in China that do way more. There's entertainment. There's Fandango equivalents that do. We didn't even scratch the surface of China. We scratched nowhere near the surface of India. Didn't really cover Korea or Japan. I think we didn't even talk about the software companies of Japan uh, today. Uh, we could barely touch Russia. Russia's in itself. Uh, oh yeah. A large, a large investigation that you really need to do into a deep amount of these spaces. 
we'll, we'll I, come back and we'll focus on some of the larger countries. Oh, yeah, yeah. We're going to do more world tours, uh, probably a country-by-country yeah. country world tour at some point. But yeah. I realized that my experience is just one of the internet experiences in the world. All right, then. So we are going to go to Europe next and look at the different technology trends within Europe. And I am, I, I am going to go out on them now what I think is a bigger limb. Uh, if you asked me earlier when we were originally planning this, I would think, oh, Europe, I probably know what that internet experience is like. I probably know all of those apps. I probably use a bunch of American apps and we'll be through in a week. Now I think maybe, maybe not. So we're gonna go explore European technology and that entire landscape next, starting next week. And with that, you've been listening to another episode of the Silicon Trail. Have a great week and stay safe out there.